the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering professional athletes and all entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about finances and wealth. Learn more, go to morganstanley.com slash GSE, Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC, member SIPC. Good morning, my name is Mike Gennetti, managing editor of SpotTrack.com. We're joined this Monday morning by Scott Allen, the uh, other piece of the puzzle here in SpotTrack. We're going to get through some NFL, a little bit of a recap the week that was, a breakdown of some Major League Baseball trade candidates as the winter gets going here. We're in a snowy Buffalo, New York here right now. Uh, plenty to talk about on the trade front for the Major League Baseball, maybe even more so than free agency, um, as we've got some pretty big names to talk about on that level. Then we're going to switch gears back to the college sports where sort of on the heels of maybe some positive news in the, in the, in the NCAA compensation department, um, some not so great news. And we'll uh, try to connect those dots a little bit, see where things are, and uh, complain a little bit about it too. <laughs> but uh, that's your breakdown for today. We're going to bring in Scott Allen. Scott, thanks for joining. Let's, uh, let's talk NFL. Pretty, I, I don't know, if you're a gambling man, <laughs> this, was, this was probably a tough weekend, right? Oh, uh, yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much all the underdogs came in and, uh, and raised some hell outside of the Bengals, which is sort of the topic to discuss here. The 0-9 Bengals are bad. I mean, they're bad, bad. Um, this is a coach that doesn't appear to be ready to be in the NFL on that level. And, you know, they're the front runners for the, the number one pick right now. You know, the Dolphins had that, had that belt for quite a while here. They've got two pretty pretty solid wins. I mean, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick is sort of, I, I said this before, you know, he's not going to win you eight games, but he might win you six. And I don't know if that Dolphins team wants to win even close to six this year. They, they've, they certainly tore it all down with purpose and traded some big pieces. They were clearly tanking. Um, two wins puts them in the number three, number four pick right now, which is fine. It's a heavy quarterback draft if that's where they're going. It's a solid defensive end, uh, you know, an edge defender draft, if that's where they're going. And it's a good wide receiver draft, if that's where they're going. So I, no one really knows what they're thinking right now, but two wins, you know, two nice-looking wins for a young team, fine, but doesn't help their draft spot stock. The Bengals are definitely on the clock right now. Uh, here, here's where I want to go with this, Scott. The Bengals need pretty much everything. A.J. Green's a free agent. Andy Dalton's probably getting released or traded. Ryan Finley... You know, is Ryan Finley. We don't know any more than what we saw this week, which wasn't great. Um, they need a lot. They, I, I believe they're going to trade or release three or four major defensive pieces this offseason. So they're going to be a shell of themselves right now uh, if they are the number one pick. We've seen it before, right? We've seen it with, uh, you know, a few teams a couple years back in the Goff and Wentz era. Uh, are they making a big splash quarterback pick there or are they going to trade that pick for, you know, a, a farm of assets? What do you think? Uh, it, it's a great question. Yeah. Uh, it's a little it, early, it, obviously. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, coming off the heels of uh, LSU, Alabama right. and watching that quarterback and how he was able to move the ball. It, it may be that, but if you, from past conversations that you've had with Paul and Kevin, maybe they draft a line, draft yeah. the assets first, and then get the quarterback. Maybe they're in for Trevor Lawrence the following year, but maybe this year is get the assets and get 
the core pieces then move forward. Yeah, that's the cowboy slash cult model where they built up their line and then uh, really pushed the gas pedal down at some point after that. It's not a bad idea, and that's sort of the the premise of what I'm saying with, you know, it's nice to have the number one overall pick if you're one piece away. Uh, they're not one piece away. <laughs> they, uh, right. And it makes no sense to have a quarterback without other pieces around them. So I, I do agree. I think there's, uh, you know, three, four top picks, top 100 picks to be had here if Cincinnati does this right. And, and look, at there's other pieces to trade. They can still trade Andy Dalton to the Bears. They can still trade Andy Dalton to the, the Denver Broncos. I mean, that's going to be, a, you know, a top 100 pick in my opinion. So I think with some defensive players that can get traded, maybe a William Jackson, maybe a Carlos Dunlap, that, that plus a Dalton plus, you know, an 0-9 start is a decent recipe for replenishing yourself with draft assets, getting your, you know, stripping down your cap, doing all the things that the Dolphins have done, really, to be honest, and starting to build this thing back up from scratch. But I agree with you. I don't think it's about the quarterback right now at all. And, and I'm, I'm fine with them even seeing how this Ryan Finley kid is um, for the remainder of 2019 and maybe into, into 2020. That's not a bad idea uh, if they're going to follow the recipe you just laid out, which is let's get some offensive line. And, and by the way, they did that this year. They did draft a left tackle this year, a future left tackle. He got injured in about eight days. So, um, And then their other left tackle, who they acquired last year from Buffalo, also injured pretty much the entire season. So they, they've had some bad luck for sure. Um, the injuries piled up early in training camp. But, you know, they're 0-9. This is, what, this is who they are. You know, they're not faking this. And I think... Yeah, they're not one piece away. So I, I think if, if this holds true and they are on the clock in April, uh, it's going to be really fun to talk about because this is going to be a team I think that will be taking offers for that number one pick. And whenever that happens, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun leading up the draft. So we won't stick on that too much longer because we are about eight months away from that. But um, plenty of other good football. Uh, let's wait on Lamar Jackson because I'm sure he's, <laughs> he's everybody's top story right now. We've got... We're going to take a spin on him that I think not not many others will. Um, But let's start with Mahomes, who comes back into the fold for the Chiefs in a losing effort, Um, which kind of matters. In my opinion, it matters that that they've lost this game and they've lost a few games now. They're still obviously, you know, okay in the standings. They've got six more weeks to figure this out before anything gets real serious. Uh, Here's where we are, though. If they really are going to put all of their eggs in his basket, like all of us have discussed, right? $40 million a year, 150 guaranteed. If that's the route they're going to go, they're going to have a heck of a time building that team around him, right? And they oh, certainly agreed. need to build around him right now because Tyreek Hill's a monster. Um, I do like some of these younger running backs. They, they healthy scratch LaShawn McCoy, for Christ's sake. I mean, they, they uh, you know, they're, 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 plenty, they're plenty built with those degrees, they could probably use a second tight end to go with Travis Kelsey to sort of help that run game a little bit. And, oh, by the way, their defense, their defense is atrocious right now. Mm-hmm. And they knew it. Admittedly, they, they knew this going into the season that they were going to struggle on that side of the ball and it was going to be about outscoring people. So when you lose Patrick Mahomes for two weeks, that the chance to outscore people just goes away. So if that's how they're going to play, if that's Andy Reid's game plan, and look, it has been for a lot of Andy Reid's career. It's been offensive first. Um, We are not seeing that type of football win out right now. We're just not. Teams that are at the top of the division right now across the board in the NFL have defenses, and and most of them are defense first. And and as the year goes on and the weather turns and, you know, the postseason nears, 
defense and run games matter more and more and more. It's just the nature of the NFL. So is a Patrick Mahomes, you know, passing offense going to be able to withstand the shift in the, in the season going to be able to withstand, you know, maybe him being 75%, which he very well could be for the rest of the year. Um, and then now flash forward, Scott, you know, if they do put a, a contract in front of him this, this next spring, right. When he's first eligible, is he going to be smart enough to say, you can't max me out? <laughs> is he going to be able to say, Hey, we got, we need cornerbacks and we need another linebacker and we need, we need a defensive interior defensive lineman because Chris Jones needs a contract too. And we've seen the chiefs without Chris Jones and they're not as good. They're not even close to as good. So I just wonder if we're getting to a spot now where Patrick Mahomes sees the, uh, the tea leaves, right. And understands that, look, it doesn't have to be Tom Brady, right? You don't, you don't have to be the 15th paid, paid quarterback in football. But being number one might not be beneficial to what your your current situation, especially over the next two, three years, right? Right. I agree with that. Especially, I mean, I'm looking at their their financial outlook already for next season. Exactly. And they only have $23 million in space as of right now. And that's with 40 guys on the roster. And that doesn't include uh, draft picks. That doesn't include tenders. Right. That doesn't include, right. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of moving parts still to come that we can't really project at this point. And- yeah, and look at not a lot of those defensive players are even on the market next year. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. right. What would you say? Twenty-three players have currently signed. Forty are signed with a twenty-three million in space. Forty signed, so they've got to get fifty more contracts on the books in the next off season. No, that's that's you know what are you going to do. If- Right. And if his cap ends up being 15 to 20 million or 20 percent of that cap, I mean, they're really going to be strapped. They're going to be only having vet minimums and and that kind of stuff. And then what are you going to do? Right. And I mean, we can all probably agree that Sammy Watkins, 21 million is coming off the books. Right. They're going to save about 13 to 14 million there by releasing him or trading Mm -hmm. him. But, you know, that only gets you so far. And I know, by the way, it's another weapon you don't have. So if you're thinking pass first cutting cutting all pro wide receivers isn't a great place to start but you're gonna have to have make some of those moves to fix your defense I just think they're in a very tight situation right now and that front office is gonna have to be very meticulous with how they move they move forward and it's time to start getting in, into Mahomes head right now and saying we know what you're worth and it's almost the Dak Prescott model right and they mentioned it last night on the broadcast if you were watching uh there's a there are other ways to make money <laughs> you know tom brady has done it for a very long time Dak prescott is already doing it he's already making a ton of money from campbell's and all these other companies that are that are you know appreciating the fact that he's the face of the cowboys franchise right now which has a lot which holds a lot of weight patrick mahomes is in every commercial all all game long every, every time the chiefs game goes to commercial it's a mahomes commercial right he's, he's already making his coin and that's not going to stop he's a marketable guy he's a smart guy he's quick um, that's not going to go away. So his agent and the front office of the Chiefs need to be talking right now about how to keep this team relevant because that's there's nothing more important than that to his brand, to his to, the, to his competitive spirit, of course, and to the Chiefs organization as a whole. It, it's it's important because games like yesterday are going to become the norm in the second half of the season if that defense can't hold itself. And I I think he needs to start understanding that as a uh, as a businessman, really, which is what this is about. But uh, I. I wonder, Scott, here's where we can transition into Lamar Jackson here because Lamar Jackson won't be eligible for a deal until two summers, right? Two springs from now, which is 2021. Um, 
if, and it, it's a big if, if the Chiefs decide to wait on Mahomes, which they very well could. Look, they've got two more years left on this contract with a fourth year and a fifth year option, right? Um, he, he's got a bad ankle. He might need some offseason surgery. You might not want to give that guy $150 million guaranteed next spring, right? So if, right. if they wait, which probably is decent business for them, then now you're in a situation where Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are going to need a contract at the, are going to be eligible for a contract at the same time. And mm. that's just fun. I mean, that, we just saw it with Wentz and Goff, but th- that's going to be Wentz and Goff on steroids, right? I mean, we knew both those guys were going to get big-time 30 million-plus co- contracts, but with how Lamar Jackson looks and how we know Patrick Mahomes can and does look at most of the time, you're talking about not just record breaking, but you're talking about push the envelope contracts with, with the, uh, the, the kind of talent they are. Um, so it's going to be harder for the chiefs. My point is my, it's going to be harder for the chiefs to bring things back down to life a little bit and say, Hey, you know, we got to be smart together to make this chiefs team the best they can be. And if Lamar Jackson goes out and gets, you know, $225 million, you know, half guaranteed from the Ravens, which very, he very well could, I mean, the rest of that team is crazy young. It's crazy young around him. It's not the Chiefs where they're kind of already mishmashed some big contracts with, you know, some young contracts. The Ravens are dirt cheap. Um, So all of their kind of young kids are coming up together, which is a great recipe to win and build. Um, I wonder if that's going to drive the Chiefs conversation and if they're not going to be able to hold back, you know, some sort of discount for Patrick Mahomes, which he doesn't deserve a discount. But, but for every, all the reasons you and I just laid out, he certainly should consider one, right? Well, that and maybe he goes a shorter term, maybe maybe a one year or two year or something like that, and then re-ups so that they can bolster their, their depth on their roster. Right. Um, the other person that is up for uh, extension at the same time as Deshaun Watson. Yeah, in the same decision. Right. In the oh, same by the division. way, <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. you, you could potentially have three marquee quarterbacks, similar styles, at the same too. time. Yeah, <laughs> similar guys, similar styles. Both all, all are sort of coming into their own right now. Um, yeah, it's a big deal. And and, and honestly, from a, a team building standpoint, you, I don't think you want to wait. It might be good business because of the injury and because you have other holes to fill if you're the Chiefs, but do you really want to put Mahomes next to Watson and Jackson in the negotiating room? Because that's essentially mm-hmm. what you're doing virtually, right, if that happens, if you wait till 2021. Um, here's the other side of it, and we have to. it has to come up because Dak Prescott had another great game in a losing effort in another great game last night, and uh, look at the Cowboys are slow playing him. They're giving him the Kirk Cousins treatment, which is ironic because that's, you know, he's the quarterback that beat him last night. Uh, you know, you're, you're near the D.C. area. You sort of saw this all lay out for Cousins. Four-year rookie contract, franchise tag, franchise tag, and then a, a, a move out of town for his big free agent contract. The Redskins essentially never gave him that long-term guarantee. We've talked about Prescott's off-the-field earnings. It's, they're substantial. I mean, he's not, you know, he, he's not slumming right now on his rookie contract. He's fine. But... At some point, you know, he's going to play himself into a number that either the Cowboys are going to have to accept or he's walking. And if Dak Prescott walks, mm-hmm. right, if he holds out on the franchise tag next year, which I don't know, it's, it's about $27 million. Is that too much to hold out to? I mean, at some point, there's too much to hold out to, right? We saw Trent Williams give up about $9 million this year. Le'Veon Bell gave up $14 million last year. I mean, Antonio Brown destroyed $30 million this year. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> he's sort of an outlier here, <laughs> but but twenty it's it's a twenty seven million ish tag next year for for Dak Prescott. Am I the only one that thinks you just sign that and play football? I mean, no, I, no, I I would. I mean, <laughs> you can give me twenty seven million and I'll go but, out and throw a ball and take the hits. <laughs> but Scott, to me, it's not about the cash; it's about the cap. That's the worst part about a franchise tag. It mm-hmm. is all in one year. The Dallas Cowboys right. can't afford a $27 million cap hit. They just can't. And they'll have, I mean, they're going to lose Byron Jones. They're going to lose a ton of other players. And oh, by the way, Marty Cooper needs a deal, who was the best player on the field last night for anyone who watched that game. He was easily the best player on the field. Um, he, might be the, he might be a top three wide receiver in all of football right now, which means $18 million a year, minimum. Julio Jones is at $22 million a year. So those are the numbers they're dealing with from a wide receiver standpoint. I, you're going to lose Tavon Austin. You're going to lose Randall Cobb. You're going to lose all your small pieces to the puzzle that are helping Dak Prescott right now. Yes, Zeke is under contract. Uh, you're going to lose Jason Witten probably to retirement again. It's, it's not as easy as it looks right now. I mean, the, the Cowboys have a lot of pieces to get done to sort of keep this core together or rebuild on the fly. And rebuilding on the fly plus paying your quarterback, super bad recipe for one offseason. That's just not how it works. Um, but don't you think taking a $27 million cap hit would be way better than say the 30 32 because at least you get a little bit of flexibility in the cap if you went that route no you have no flexibility what you do when you do have flexibility is when you sign a multi-year contract and you can move cap around as you need right okay. it, can, it can be mm-hmm. so generally what dallas does is, is a small signing bonus and then a second year option bonus to, to, to for the reasons we're exactly saying right now you keep the cap the first year cap low the second year cap is gigantic and then it spreads out from there, sort of declines from there. So 2021 would be the big year for Dak Prescott from a cap standpoint if they did a multi-year deal. Now, if they think they can fit it all in next year, then they don't care. Then a franchise tag is coming. Um, here's the other reason. Here's the other the line of thinking with this. A lot of times, teams use a franchise tag as a chance to say, well, we can still try to trade you. We've already laid out the list of quarterbacks that are going to be available next year, not even in the draft, right? I mean, you're right. talking Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, just the, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill. Uh, the list is gigantic. I'm not even, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing big players, but the, the list is big for teams that might want to bring in a veteran quarterback to, you know, to give them a one or two year shot or just, just to have on the roster just in case. Um, you know, Dak is probably the best of all of them outside of maybe a Bridgewater. I mean, to me, age-wise and talent-wise and what they've done in their past, uh, I can't put Cam there until I know he's healthy. Sorry. I, I know I get killed for Cam Newton, but I can't put him on that list yet. But Dak and Teddy Bridgewater might be the top two available players from a free agent quarterback standpoint if it gets to that point. But who's going to give up a massive haul of draft picks to, to acquire Dak Prescott on $27 million cap, which they'd have to absorb for at least a day, and then, oh, by the way, give him a $150 million contract. I, that, to me, is ludicrous when you've got all these quarterbacks available and you can go and draft one because there's five or six top, top you know, t- at least round two quarterbacks available from what we're hearing. I, I just don't understand Dallas having every, any leverage at all with this, and that's my point. They can slow play this for now, but we're, we're closing in on that point where they're going to lose all their leverage with this guy, and it's going it, to be a bad look. And Dak Prescott might walk. Now, you can flip the script on this, right, and say everything I'm saying can turn back towards Dak because if he does hit the market, who's available to sign him, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Chicago, would Chicago take him over Cam Newton? Maybe. Would Denver take him over Cam Newton? 
probably, <laughs> right? Um, you know, there's teams out there. Does Miami go all in on Dak Prescott? Maybe. So, you know, there might be three or four teams, but there won't be five or six. So I, I, I worry about that. You remember the Kirk Cousins situation when he did walk, Scott? There were five teams immediately in on his services, right? Yeah, they were. You had a bidding mm-hmm. war from the Jets and the, and the Vikings, at, you know, at a minimum, and then a couple of teams out west as well, and even the Bills were involved at one point. But there, it, there was plenty of options. He was essentially the only thing available at that point. Yeah, because we don't usually see we don't. marquee quarterbacks hit the free agency market. We don't. And, and to be honest, Scott, the first two years of Cousins' contract were not, go- not good for that either. <laughs> I mean, he's finally breaking out a little bit here, and he's, he's, uh, he's putting it all together in year three or year two here. But, man, you, you want to see those kind of things work out because, honestly, I, I, it stinks to see Dak Prescott being played like this. It does. You know, this is such a powerful position that he's in, the, the quarterback of such a big franchise, and they're, they're slow playing him. They're purposely slow playing him because they might not know what they, what they can do next year based on everything we've just said, don't you think? I mean, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. I, I, I tweeted out a list of their free agents last night during the game. Uh, it's not yeah, easy. I saw that. It's not easy. <laughs> they're going to have a, a lot of work to do and some tough decisions to make and who goes and who stays and how do we squeeze these guys in. And you can look right now and see their cap space and say, you know, they've got 70 million to work with, whatever it is. But again, there's draft picks coming. There's mm-hmm. plenty of RFA tenders coming in, you know, guys that need contracts there. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. I just, uh, it, it, for me, it's, I know a lot of guys that like to see players play out their contracts because it's so rare and, you know, you should honor what, you, what you've been given, right? I just think at some point, you know, you got to bend before you break. And we're at a point with Dak Prescott where if he's your guy for the next four years, get it done now. Because, and let's bring it full circle here, you don't want Dak Prescott in a conversation with Patrick Mahomes, right? And right. Des- and Deshaun Watson, because that's mm-hmm. where we're going. If, if it gets to the offseason, whether you let him be a free agent or you tag him and try to sign him, you know, by July 15th, which is essentially the two options Dallas would have, you're going to be hearing all the numbers from Watson and Mahomes in the background. And you can say Dak Prescott's not as good, but he but he's a top quarterback in the league. And top quarterbacks in the league, there's really no negotiation with Price anymore. So if Mahomes pushes the envelope to 38 million a year, Dak's going to have to be worth 36, right? Minimum 36. That's just yeah, how you would things think work. That. Whereas right now, you can probably sneak him in at 33, 34, which is about a million and a half, two million under the Russell Wilson bar. Uh, so waiting, waiting's fine because it gives you some time right now, literally day by day. But it can burn you. Ask the, uh, ask the Ravens how that went with Joe Flacco, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is also brought to you by The Athletic, who are pumping away content, and we're showing it on Track, right? It's got every team page, every player page. We've got the uh, three most recent articles from that team. So if you're looking to see the uh, Lamar Jackson breakdown from the weekend, I'm sure The Athletic is all over it on the Ravens pages, and you can get 40% off your first year of The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage for real sports fans. Get detailed coverage of every trade, every free agent signing, and all the storylines, as well as expert analysis from national writers like Ken Rosenthal, Michael Lombardi, and Pierre Lebrun, all across the sports world. Plus deep insights of analytic gurus and former team execs like John Hollinger and Seth Partnow. Join today, like I said, you get 40% off your first year by going to theathletic.com slash spottrack 40 off. That's theathletic.com slash S-P-O-T-R-A-C 40 O-F-F. All right, Scott. It's the Major League offseason. It's been quiet. You know, the mm-hmm. hot stoves are starting to heat up a little bit. The uh, The weather's getting cold. 
The Major League Baseball hot stove is heating up. It's a good time of year for me, a big baseball guy. I'm a little worried about the Mets situation. We'll get there. <laughs> but there are, there are other teams to discuss. I don't want to be a homer just yet. Uh, I'll give you the option here. Let's talk Cubs. Let's talk Red Sox. Let's talk Yankees. What do you think? What do you want to start with here? Uh, let's go with the Red Sox. Yeah, that's the, that's the big <laughs> one. That's the big yes, one. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, question number one. I'll, I'll throw this to you before I give my take. Question number one, I'll make it easy. Is Mookie Betts getting traded this winter? Oh, man. I, if, if they're looking to reduce their payroll, yes, he's going to get moved. Sure. <laughs> um, I think you could get a haul for him. And if, if I had to say yes or no, is he going to get moved? I'll lean towards yes. Okay. Yeah. I, there, here's, here's the thing. There are other elements they can move. They don't have to move Mookie Betts, right? I've got a couple of names listed here. We've heard them before. I do think Jackie Bradley Jr., the, the center fielder, for sure goes. I thought he was going to go last winter um, because I did think they needed to shed some payroll. I, I know they were worried about the, the luxury tax situation, and obviously – 2019 was not fun for them. They didn't win and they paid. So uh, you can understand them going and getting a guy from Tampa Bay to sort of moneyball this thing back into form. With that in mind, I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. is the only move they can make because I think uh, another thing that happened maybe a week and a half ago is J.D. Martinez opted in. That's $23.75 million in 2020. He's a heck of a player. I think they love him. But if they're in this little mini, mini sale mode, that's a number they probably didn't want to deal with. They were, they, if I had to guess, they were probably hoping he went out, opted out, and tested the market a little himself. Um, but they've got him now. Now you can say he's tradable because he is tradable from a production standpoint, except he's got another opt-out after this year, which makes him a rental, right? Because you can't guarantee right. anything. It's, he's a rental. So like, you know, a, a Jackie Bradley Jr. and, you know, like a Mookie Betts, because of their team control situation, they're all, they're all rentals. Um, so there's not really a great, great trade to be made unless you're going to go and, you know, get rid of a Ben Attendee or a Michael Chavis, which I don't think they'll do. I think there's, there's futures in those guys that they need and lower salaries right now that they need as well. Mm -hmm. uh, for all those reasons, I think bets goes. There's going to be a market for them. Um, and quite frankly, the Red Sox can score runs. I mean, they can do it. He's a, he's a five-tool guy. There's no question but the Red Sox can score runs with the other pieces they have. They just can. They need to fix this rotation. They, you know, they, Nathan Evaldi's injury failed him. David Price was, you know, up and down all year. Chris Sale had a great year, but he did have a down point, which really kind of tanked their season. Um, I, they're, they're struggling right now, and certainly the back end of the bullpen, which when they let Craig Kimbrell walk, they really never fixed it. They need probably two to three relief pitchers. They need a first baseman. They need a second baseman. Um, there's a lot of pieces to fill here and you can kind of do that with bets. Right. And that's why I was saying if they move him, you're sort of selling high yeah. on his, uh, abilities and you can get back and rebuild and get lower payroll and, you know, get the value that you need if you get the right players back. So, I mean, that's why I went with the yes, because I think if they're trying to do the rebuild, that may be the best way to, you know, restock their their farm yeah there's no question and, and it's possible they might be trying to get rid of one of those pitchers i just mentioned as well because of the payroll situation and because of the lack of the production it's you know david price is 34 uh he's counts 32 million against their uh, payroll and 31 against their luxury tax 
That's probably a number they don't love right now. Uh, trading a guy like Betts and linking him with a bad contract like Price is sort of the way that they've operated business in the last decade or so. They've done this two or three times where they've traded notable players and they've linked guys together. You take a good contract and a bad contract, essentially, to get it off of our hands, and you get two decent players in doing so. Can they find a, part, a trade partner to work with on that? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, not, I'm really not sure. But that, to me, that's, that's probably what they're trying to do internally right now in the bet situation. So, it, yes, it's about bringing back some guys, but, to, but it might also be about getting rid of another contract that they don't love as well. Here, here's the numbers. I mean, Mookie Betts projects to like $27 million this year in his last year of arbitration. So it's a significant number. This isn't, he's not rookie controlled anymore. This is a, that's a significant salary for a player in arbitration. So you can understand them at least fielding phone calls right now. If they were to move Bradley Jr. and Mookie Betts, like we've talked about here, that's almost $39 million saved. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that, that's a big, big number. Not only does that sort of replenish your farm system a little bit, which is certainly the hope here, for the Red Sox, but it also gets you about $20 million in the black from the luxury tax standpoint. So it's, it's not necessary, right? That's the thing that has to be mentioned the most here. This is Boston. This is the Red Sox. If they want to spend, they can spend. It's just we've, we're hearing that they don't want to spend this year. So if that's the case, I agree with you. I think Betts goes, and I think he's not the only one out of town either. We'll see. That's a big one. I mean, that will be... A big news day. Let's let's downplay that a little bit. That's going to be quite a news day if Mookie Betts goes because, man, the teams that can use him and can afford him, it's not a big list. Uh, I, I, I can't even really speculate. Do you have any anything in mind as to where Mookie Betts could end up before we move on here? No, I don't. I really don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to say that the Dodgers could get in on this, but the, of course the Dodgers could get in on this. And they could... I'm- Go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, I mean, not move if Betts and Bradley Jr. move, but I was going to go with, you know, you mentioned Price yeah. and uh, moving him and putting another contract on. I mean, we've seen it in in the NBA where sure. low paying teams have room. They'll take on the dead and, you know, they'll they'll eat it. Do you do you foresee anything like that? In, where, where they in, send the him baseball? to a bad team? Yeah. Yeah. Like Pittsburgh? Yeah. Yeah. Senator Pittsburgh, he's a veteran. He may help out some of those guys. Maybe Boston eats half of the money, but they at least get it off the books. And, you know, what does Pittsburgh maybe gets something else back, some someone else. Um, but I, from what I followed, you, you know way better than me. But do, do the low-paying baseball teams that have a lot of space essentially – take on contracts to just eat them from play. Uh, it happens. Get rid of them? It, it happens. It's not as prevalent as basketball um, because there's just so many more roster spots to fill out. I mean, your payroll kind of adds up, but the reason I mentioned Pittsburgh, Scott is that they essentially just did that with Tampa Bay <laughs> this past year in taking on Chris Archer and a couple of guys to move Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows, both of who pu- pushed Tampa Bay right into the postseason. So I, uh, and now there's a Tampa Bay executive working for the Boston Red Sox and, and, <laughs> and making a lot of these decisions. Right. So this is a guy who knows how to handle that kind of stuff. And Chris Archer was in the same boat. I mean, he was essentially in the final years of his arbitration. He was getting a little too high paid for the situation they needed to use him in. Um, I think a lot of people think that's Bre- Jackie Bradley Jr. right now. And in some to some degrees, I think that's how they view Mookie Betts as well. If Mookie Betts isn't going to sign an extension, you know, and not a $400 million one, they offered him $200 million two years ago. 
So if it's if it you know if you split the difference, it's probably three three twenty right now from Mookie Betts. If he won't sign that in Boston, and Boston you know won't go high enough to get him, then he should go. That that's that's good business, and it's good for Mookie Betts. Now, I don't know if Mookie Betts landing on the Pittsburgh Pirates is good for business, but I uh, I can see it happening. To your point, yeah, you, you might have to identify teams that do have low payrolls just to take on you know two decent contracts if that's the route Boston's trying to go here. But just don't sleep on the Dodgers. Don't don't sleep on the Dodgers. <laughs> if the Dodgers identify Mookie Betts as a player they can get right now, um, they're gonna you know they can trade Ross Stripling, uh, you know a backup catcher and two farm. Ca- I mean they can make the moves and they can they can handle the payroll because they're ready to win right now. I mean they're yeah they <laughs> especially after being in what back to back series and then losing I mean. yeah. this year in the playoffs. I mean they they've got the itch. They they want to finish it. Yeah, so just don't don't ever count out the Dodgers. They're ready and willing to pay at any point in time. So, all right, let's move on. Cubs, let's move on to the Cubs here. Um, okay. A lot of talk about the Cubs breaking it up and, and Theo Epstein, the former Red Sox exec, sort of coming clean with a lot of these young kids before they come to fruition, one of which is Chris Bryant, who, man, he's been so up and down. Um, you know, a former MVP, a former batting champ, and, you know, a lot of people have forgotten about him because – He's been injured, uh, inconsistent, tough to kind of keep your thumb on. It'd be an easy move to trade him right now. I think there'd still be decent interest. I, he's got two years before free agency, and that's a whole other discussion, which we've had before. He's been he's one of those players that the Cubs sort of abused the, the service time situation with, so they ended up getting an extra year of arbitration out of him. I, I don't know. To, to me, part of maybe his decline is he's not happy where he is. So it's possible that he's making a lot of the noise about trade buzz with him because he wants to get the heck out of town. There's teams that could use a third baseman. I can tell you that right now. Uh, You know, teams that might lose third baseman right now to free agency like the Nationals, other teams like the Indians who are certainly going to be interested. I'm not sure they want to spend a ton of money, but for two years on arbitration, they could certainly afford Chris Bryant. Well, the one I was thinking of is is the Phillies because isn't he really good friends with Harper? Very good friends with Harper. That whole situation. Philadelphia appears to be all in. Um that would put them way up there in payroll. So they've got to really like him as a player and as a piece because they can fill that spot with some young kids right now as well. Uh, certainly you can't count that out, though. You're right. There's a connection there, and I think that's a move Chris Bryant would certainly like to see. Uh, I, I think there's other players. I'll, I'll name one Kyle Schwarber, for instance. Again, a, a move I thought was going to be made last year because of mm-hmm. payroll. Because of payroll, He was starting to get a little too expensive. And then, he, of course, he comes out and has a career year. I mean, monster monster uh, production, monster power, and he bats 250, which is way more than he's, he's batted before. So uh, big step forward for him. To that point, though, the Cubs still have young players they can put in the outfield when they need to. Now, they're not, I'm not sure they're players that are, that are going to hit 40 bombs, but they've got plenty of guys that can do that already. I think this is as a high a trade value as you're going to have for Kyle Schwarber. So to me, he's a, a, a more likely candidate to be on the move this winter. While I, I, I'm not giving him a green light yet, though, I don't think it's a, it's a slam dunk that it gets moved. I just think he's in a high-value spot to move. The Cubs could certainly get something back for him two years until free agency, so there's some team control there. It's a wait-and-see on Kyle Schwarber. Here's the name that's really come up in the past week, uh, catcher Wilson Contreras. We saw all postseason how teams that either had a phenomenally defensive catcher or acquired one, like Houston, uh, they flourished. It's a big deal. It's sort of like the NFL conversation where the second half of the season defense really matters, really matters. 
And in the postseason in baseball, in, in September leading up to the, to the postseason, it matters. You've got to be able to control, you know, runners and, and things like that. And and Wilson Contreras can do it all. He's an A plus defender. He's great with the bat. I, I mean, he's he's essentially one of the, one of the more dynamic catchers in all of baseball. But the Cubs have the luxury of having a, a viable backup already. A young kid, Victor Caratini, who's who's uh, played a little bit when Contreras needed days off or was injured. Uh, they've sort of got they've got fool's gold here at the catcher position. I think Contreras is a player that does move. Now, you're not going to get a gigantic haul for a catcher. You're just not. You, even a catcher of this girth with you know some production and some power. But I do think these contenders that we're talking about here, Scott, who need an upgrade, one of which may be the Yankees, by the way, because I don't think – I think the Gary Sanchez train has fallen off the tracks pretty fast because of everything I just said. I mean, he's, he's a liability, especially when it matters the most, even though he can mash the ball 450 you know, feet pretty much every at-bat. I, I do think the Yankees will look to shift to a more defensive-minded catcher. This is a guy they can certainly target. So if I had to rank the Cubs players getting, getting traded, it would be catcher Contreras, outfielder Schwarber, and then maybe third baseman Chris Bryant. Any thoughts? Well, I, I completely agree with the defensive catcher. I mean, look at the Nationals. Yes, Kurt Jan Suzuki. Gomes. Yes. Gomes and Suzuki saved so many runs or bases being moved from balls in the dirt or anything like that. So I think especially for those teams that are on the cusp of making the playoffs or, uh, you know, they're one piece away and that might be the tipping point with some totally. of the pitchers that they have. So I, I really like uh, that you brought him up in this. Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, it's not a sexy move, right? I mean, no, nobody loves to acquire catchers in December, but this is a guy worth it. He's worth the price of admission and he's going to, he's going to solidify your defensive lineup and he's going to hit some balls out of the park too. So like I said, don't well, sleep on the Yankees here, getting rid of Gary Sanchez at some point. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the Indians. We mentioned him here. Mm-hmm. every year we got to talk about the Indians because they're a small market team and, and they sort of, they do this very well. Uh, we, we watch them closely. I'm sort of in proximity here. I've got a, you know, cousin Dan, you've heard him before talk to Indians. He's a big tribe guy. Uh, he's sort of in misery right now because a, they had a terrible 2019 and B the writing is on the wall for some of these superstars and uh, you know, the future of this, the sort of core that the tribe have had for three, four years now, Notably here, Frankie Lindor, the shortstop. I mean, one of the most dynamic players on all of baseball. Tough guy to look. I mean, he's in the Mookie Betts conversation of he's the guy you want around forever, but you just, you know that he's going to cash in three, 350 bills at some point here. And Cleveland just can't do that. They don't operate that kind of way business-wise. So it's time. It's, he's two years away. He's in the Mookie Betts framework where they were last year with him. Um, I think a lot of people think this is the time he goes. Here's the trouble I'm having. You've got shortstops available. I mean, you've got free agent guys. You've got Didi Gregorius completely free on free agent right now as a free agent shortstop. Now, he's a little older, and he's got some injury history, but he's not going to cost you what Frankie Lindor is going to cost you, even in arbitration. I mean, Lindor is going to cost you $17 million projected this year, and then he's got one more year left. So that number might jump to $24 million next year, you know, for a shortstop, which is fine if, if the production is there. I just wonder if teams generally look around the league and say, we can snag a couple of guys here and there off the free agent market rather than make a splash. Cause it's going to take a lot to get Frankie Lindor out of Cleveland. Um, I just, I, I'm worried about a fit with this one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I mean, if, 
the the money is too much and there is an oversaturation of shortstops. I mean, where's he going to go? I think it might be a situation where he may be a trade deadline asset yeah, July. during the season yeah. to see what happens with injuries, what teams are – they need to bring something in and then they'll make the move because they may see, oh, we're only one or two games back and he'll put us over the cuffs to get – into the postseason. So right. I think he might be a, a trade deadline, not necessarily this offseason. How about this? How about your top five average paid shortstops in baseball? Number one is Xander Bogart to the Red Sox, whom, by the way, I also have read some trade rumors because he's worth $20 million a year. Uh, Frankie Lindor right now on that $16 million uh, uh, arbitration average. Elvis Andrews from Texas Rangers, $15 million a year. Gene Segura, Phillies, 14 million a year. Marcus Simeon, A's, 13 and a half million a year. That's your top five. One mm. of those players made the postseason last year. One, Marcus Simeon and the A's were, were out, in and out in about a day and a half. So, right. I, I mean, if the list goes on from there. Brandon Crawford with the Giants, no postseason. Trevor Story, he, he's been, I mean, he's at 11 and a half million for Trevor Story. You know, that's his arbitrary, that's essentially where we're at with him. You're going to be okay you know, paying a little bit more than 10 million for Trevor story. He's in the same boat as Frankie Lindor, by the way, two years of arbitration left. So if, if that's the conversation, right, if it's Frankie Lindor versus Trevor story, which let's say hypothetically both are on the trade block because of their near, their nearing free agency. And you know that Trevor story is, is projecting 5 million less than Frankie Lindor, which, which phone call are you making? Right. I mean, Trevor Story's had power years equal or better than Frankie Lindor. Now he hasn't been as consistent, but I, I'm worried that business catches up with some of these guys quicker than they think. I think this has happened in the last two free agencies where guys who, you know, have a lot of brand power, like a Frankie Lindor, get to free agency and find out eh, teams really don't give a crap. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm right. here I, and I've made a name for myself and I've hit some home runs and, I've, you know, I'm a, I'm a solid defensive player. But at the end of the day, I, I'm replaceable. And that's what I'm worried about. You can get guys for a million dollars. Truly a million dollars. I mean, you're in Washington as Dribble Kudbera and Howie Kendrick cost right. the Nationals about a million seven five last year, and were vital pieces to that World Series run. I mean, vital, and that's your mm. mid, that, that's your inf, your up, you know your middle infielders there. Well, and we've seen in the off season the last few seasons where you know the front offices don't want to pay. So, it, with him already being projected as the second highest shortstop, I mean. If he gets to right in free arbitration, agency, in arbitration, yeah, so right. the free agent contract is going to be north of twenty million if we're doing the math here, right? And teams may not want to pay that, and then his value is going to go down, and then snowball from there. So, especially with if you keep if we look a little down on the list here, I mean, you've got uh, Trey Turner, Carlos yep. Correa, Corey Seager. I mean, you've got a list of they're all coming to free agency soon. Yeah, it's coming. So the position is eventually going to get paid. Um, and, and maybe that's maybe that's the play for all these players, right? Let's just wait this thing out. Because if Lindor, Story, Javi Baez, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager all kind of come to the market together, it's going to be couple, you know staggered slightly a year to year. But if they're all sort of here together, is it going to be pay nobody or pay everybody, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. How's right. that going to work? Um, yeah, a lot of youth coming up, and Frankie's sort of the, the leader of that pack. I think it's good business for the Indians to, to, to wait. I just don't think there's a market right now for Frankie Lindor. 
I think you, you keep this guy in your lineup, you pay that $16 million, $17 million, whatever it's going to be, and you, uh, you see what you can get on for one more year. Maybe you're thinking about things in July like you talked about at the deadline, but I think we're having a conversation about Franklin Lindor next year, which is very similar to the Betts conversation right now. I think that's where he is, his path is projected. We'll see. Cleveland sort of lives on their own, uh, on their own terms because well, they, they know their money better than we do for sure. But from what I can view, I bet they have a hard time trading him right now. Well, uh, one guy that's been on the trade rumors forever is Corey Kluber. What yeah. do you think about moving him? Well, I think he was gone until he broke his arm, <laughs> which is, you know, there are better sentences of that. But he did. I mean, that I think July, the July trade deadline had Corey Kluber's name written all over it. I know San Diego was all in. There were a couple of those West Coast teams that were definitely in on Corey Kluber. Look, he's still dirt cheap. He's older. But 17 and a half this year and 18 next year for a, a number one guy, assuming he can get back into form, he did have a tough 2019, but assuming he can round back into, into some form of Corey Kluber that we know, um, this is a guy I think they have to move on from. Not because they don't love him. And he's, I mean, he's a, uh, he's a major figure in Cleveland, major figure. And he's, a, he's been on a ridiculously low contract for years and years. He, uh, I don't know why he signed that contract, and I don't think I'll ever understand. It's a point of contention I've made internally a lot. But he, he he's left money on the table. I think there is a bigger market for him. I do think San Diego will still come calling. They're looking for pitchers right now. I know they're in on Strasburg. They're going to be in on a few of these free agents. If they can acquire a guy like Kluber to go with it, they will. I think the same goes for the Los Angeles Angels, who, again, they're going to get a free agent pitcher. They're, they want two or three. He's going to be on their list. And, oh, by the way, his old pitching coach in Cleveland is now the pitching coach in Los Angeles, Mickey Calloway. So there's a definite connection there. I do think Cleveland pulls the trigger on this one. If, and it's a big if, if there's a marker for Kluber. I'm saying all this with the, with the you know, understanding that Kluber's healthy and Kluber can come back in a form and pass physicals and show that he's still the same old Corey Kluber to some degree. I'm, I'm worried about that. And I talked to Cousin Dan a little bit about this offline. Uh, he's not super confident either that when Kluber came back from that, that arm injury, he looked a little bit scaredish. You know what I mean? He looked like a guy who just broke his arm. That's <laughs> what he looked mm-hmm. like. And you know, you, you sort of need to see the physical and the mental come back before you make a big acquisition for a guy like that. But at, to, to be honest, Scott at 17 and a half million this year, if, if he can throw the ball, I'm getting him. I just think that's, that's a great price. That's a, that's a quality, qualifying offer price for Corey Kluber in 2020. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And again, for the price that, like you said, and a, a team that, you know, look, look at what the Houston Astros have done yes. with making trades and bringing in older pitchers right. and they've flourished with the player think, development. Think about and, Kluber as Zach Grinke. Yeah, exactly. If he's the number three and he just has to go out there and sort of get the job done, he's that, that's a perfect Corey Kluber situation. You're dead on there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, any team that, especially that if they know that player development, I mean, look at Verlander and I, all they talked about was his release point and yeah. they worked with him and they fixed it and they figured out what was wrong. I mean, if he goes to the right club and they're able to get 80% of what he was before, you know, like you said, being a third starter, yeah. being in there just to get through killing innings and keep them in the game. I mean, yeah. That 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 could be that tipping point between postseason, deep postseason, or not making it at all for some of those teams. I do think everything you're saying begs the uh, Angels to get involved here. Uh, if if they're going to go and pay 
Garrett Cole a stupid amount of money, and he's going to be the clear-cut number one option out of that rotation, essentially your Verlander, right? Then you go and get a Corey Kluber and match him back up with Mickey Calloway, who knows exactly what Corey Kluber's about and how to make him back, you know, make him whole again. I, I I think that's the perfect scenario. It's not great for Cleveland, <laughs> who, no. who are down a substantial pitcher here, but again, they operate differently because of their market and because of their payroll. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, as his number approaches twenty million a year, which it's it's getting there, I, they're going to have to start making some decisions. I do think he's the Indian that moves this offseason, though. I agree. I agree with that. All right, let's hit let's hit one more area here. <laughs> let's bring it home to the Mets here. Um, the Mets can do absolutely nothing, or they can do a lot. Now, I thought they were going to do absolutely nothing last year, and they made the biggest, maybe worst trade in the history of baseball. When they, when they acquired Robbie Cano and Edwin Diaz and lots of money and gave away two stud uh, prospects, one a pitcher, one an outfielder, both are superstars in the Seattle organization already. So knowing all that, <laughs> I, I think they have to fix what they did last year. And I think in doing that is you trade the closer you thought you were going to have for the next three years and Edwin Diaz, who has three more team-controlled years. He is arbitration one right now. So not going to be not going to be crazy expensive, you know, maybe six, seven million. Uh, somebody can you mentioned how, you know, a change of scenery and, and some good coaching can fix players. There are a lot of teams that want to try and fix Edwin Diaz right now and make them at least their setup guy. Maybe their closer. There are teams that need relief. We know the Boston Red Sox are involved. I've heard plenty of hot stove rumors out there about how the Mets can send Edwin Diaz and. Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo or Noah Syndergaard to Boston for Mookie Betts. I want to be on the record right now that I want absolutely no part <laughs> of a Mookie <laughs> Betts trade to the Mets. There are plenty of players I would love to get, but I can't see the Mets paying $350 million for Mookie Betts. So let's put that off the table for now. I do think the Mets should fix this mistake. For whatever reason, Edwin Diaz does not like being on the Mets organization, isn't comfortable at City Field. Something's wrong with Edwin Diaz. And they need to eat crow in this. Now, I know that's going to be a difficult move because it was the first move that this general manager made, right? And you never want to admit a mistake this quickly. But he's got to eat, if he wants to, if this team really is built for the postseason and they were darn close this year, even after, even with Edwin Diaz's, you know, 1,345 blown saves this year, um, they, they darn near got themselves in. So they're close. Uh, I think that he's got to eat crow and say, we're going to push you to a different situation. It, it'll be better for you. We'll get something back in return that works. I, I've got a really interesting trade here that I think fills a couple of needs for everybody. Number one, I'm going to get the Dodgers involved again because the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Um, they've got assets and money. So when you've got teams like that, you, you want to play ball with them. Um, Edwin Diaz goes to the Dodgers where he is the seventh inning guy to start the year, right? Because they've got Kenley Jansen. They've got Joe. They've got other pieces there already. That are mm-hmm. sort of, you know, and it's not great. I don't think they I don't think they love their situation, but they like it. So adding another piece to that puzzle is just gonna make them more comfortable with their situation, even if it's a guy who, you know, was shell-shocked the entire year. I think it's a perfect situation for Diaz who goes, can figure some stuff out. He's got tons of coverage around him. He's, he doesn't have to be the guy, no spotlight. And the Dodgers have to start shedding some of their payroll as well, one of which is Kiki Hernandez, crazy talented center fielder who kills the Mets. Every time he comes to City Field, he kills the Mets. He's a phenomenal defensive center fielder. He can fly. He can steal some bags. He randomly hits the ball out of the park more than he should for a guy of his frame. Uh, the, the Mets need all of that right now. So to me, that's, that's piece number one. 
Then you've got some other pieces, guys like Ross Stripling, who are maybe the fourth, fifth uh, starter, starting pitchers in the Dodgers rotation right now. That's another piece the Mets need to add. They're going to lose Zach Wheeler. They may lose Noah Syndergaard, who is, again, on the trade block. He's been on the trade block for two and a half years. Um, so if they lose one or two of those guys, you need some, some, some fill-in-the-blank stuff there. Uh, the Dodgers do have depth in that starting rotation, as we saw. It failed them in the postseason, but they do have it. And I think maybe the maybe a little change of scenery for a couple of those guys makes sense. So Mets and the Dodgers, I, I think that's a nice little uh, move for both. Like I said, shedding some payroll from the Dodgers, getting some guys off their off their roster who are going to get expensive soon, and filling needs on both sides. I, I'm going to spin it to you for Noah Syndergaard because I've talked too much about him in the past, and you're sort of on the outside looking in. Do the Mets move Noah Syndergaard this winter, Scott? Oh man, I I, I think that's kind of like the Mookie Betts yeah, situation. Two years it's, left, though. Two it, years left until free agency, so they've got a, a kind of an extra year to play with. I, I'm gonna say in this case, no. Uh, I think they keep him, let his stock go up a little bit more. I think if you need to move him for some reason, you can move him. I know they paid DeGrom. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen starting pitching is a must, especially in the postseason. So I think they need to see where things translate over the next season and assess and say, all right, is he going to be our staple with the ground moving forward? If the answer is no, then you need to move him and get a haul and then reset. And you, you need to build your farm system and, and go young and go from there. Um, so I'm going to say in this case, no, they hold on him, especially with him only being projected at $10 million right now. Yeah. That's, that's a steal. So you hold on to him for right now. All right. I'll agree, but I'm going to, I'm going to push this out there. We've talked about last week's on last week's show. We talked about the plethora of free agent pitchers available, right? There's sort of two, maybe three tiers. Starts with your Garrett Cole. Uh, Strasburg is sort of a we don't really know because we just assume he's going to be a national still, um, and then it goes down from there. The Yankees need pitching. The Twins need pitching. Houston needs to rebuild, replenish the Garrett Cole situation. We know the Angels are in. We know San Diego's in. You know, everybody's in, but there's some real contenders who are going to spend some dough on pitchers this offseason. But I, there's, there certainly aren't going to be enough top-tier pitchers to go around. Somebody's going to miss. Somebody's going to miss out. I don't imagine it's the Yankees. But if it is the Yankees, Scott, and the Yankees mm-hmm. don't get the guy they needed or the two guys they needed for some reason, they will be calling the Mets. They have called the Mets before for Syndergaard. They will be calling the Mets. And if... If they decide to blow the Mets away with an offer, Syndergaard's gone. He's definitely gone because the Yankees farm team, it's phenomenal. Their, their, their prospects are, I mean, they are built to win for years and years, but they want to win now. And they can win now with Syndergaard as the number two option in that rotation if they miss out on the Garrett Coles and the Madison Bumgarners and whoever else they're in on. This is a young guy who can throw the heck out of the ball. He's proven he can do it in New York, which that goes a long way. The Yankees know what, what they're getting in Noah Syndergaard. To me, that is the situation that he moves in the winter. If not, flip forward to July, right? That July t- trade deadline, when his salary cuts down from 10 to 5, right? Now mm-hmm. you can get Noah Syndergaard for $5 million for the rest of the year, and I, you're going to have tons of suitors at that point if the Mets need to move him. So to me, they hold tight. They let free agency play out a little bit, and they wait to see who doesn't get the, get the guy. If, you know, who doesn't get Garrett Cole? 
Because if those guys are calling with gigantic offers for Syndergaard, now the Mets are in the driver's seat. I think it's a perfect situation. They don't need to trade him. You know, they're, they're probably going to lose Zach Wheeler. So they, they lose that pitcher payroll there. They're not going to resign, you know, a $25 million player right there. They already acquired Marcus Stroman at the deadline last year, which raised a lot of eyebrows. But now putting the pieces together, the puzzle makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now they've got getting Marcus Stroman gives them leverage to do many things, right? They can sign Zach Wheeler if they get him at a d- decent price, and then they'll have five phenomenal starters for the entire 2020 season. They can dangle Noah Syndergaard and say, you know, what do you think? They can also dangle Steven Matz, who's on the same uh, contractual status as Syndergaard, so two more years of arbitration, but he costs half the price of Noah Syndergaard. Matz had a, has had back-to-back solid seasons. So maybe that's, that's a cheaper option for everybody. If guys don't want to you know, give up what it takes to get Noah Syndergaard, Maybe they'll give up what it takes to get Steven Matz. The Mets still get back some young arms, maybe get a center fielder out of it, like I've talked about here, and go from there. So uh, when you start to look at this, the Mets have done a lot of bad things, but building up this starting rotation from the ground up internally has been a a point of strength for the Mets, and it's time for them to start cashing in. I agree. I mean, we were talking a few years ago with the Mets rotation – that it was just going to be unbelievable in a few years. And yeah. now we're at that How many point series where, did that come? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now we're at that Freaking Royals. sort of breaking point of, do they move them? Do they keep them? Do, do they see this through? So it, it's going to be an interesting to see where this rotation goes, because we've already seen them move on from some pitchers. Uh, yeah. The I'm guy just, that went to the Reds, I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Yeah, but. Harvey. Yeah, they had to. Harvey. You know, Har- that yeah. was, it was in his head. That that was sort of the the downfall of the last two and a half years was was how he sort of fell off the face of the earth, and that happens. Yep. Um, but what's good is, like I said, they're in the driver's seat right now. They control their destiny. Um, it's just how much this GM is going to, you know, you got a new coach. You got a coach that a lot of these players know, have played with, have dealt with, and Carlos Beltran. Uh Carlos Beltran was a heck of a center fielder, so he better find this best center fielder that can play out there because that's been a, a position of weakness. So something has to give, whether it's free agency or whether it's one of these pieces being moved. And, oh, by the way, and this has to be said with every Mets conversation until we know anything, Yuenna Cespedes is still on the payroll for $29.5 million, and nobody knows if he can play baseball anymore. So, so how much can you really win when you've got $30 million in payroll locked up to a guy where – their status is we don't know. They don't know if Cespedes is going to be available in 2020. So right. that's always a great way to start the year. I, I got one question for you uh, before we move on here. Yeah. Uh, what do you think happens with Stanton? Because I mean, we've yeah, Yankees, heard right. they got to move. They got to move on, or do they eat that? Or you know, it's sort of the elephant in the room for them. Do, do you think they move him, or do they just continue down the path that they're at? I mean, talk about trades that you have to eat crow on right (laughs) right i mean mean, they've done everything else right like i said i think the gary sanchez situation is is playing out in a negative way but even if stanton's healthy i'm not sure it's any better i'm not sure it's a better situation i mean they you can always find a designated hitter they didn't need to go out and give up you know four players and hundreds of million dollars which is what they're putting themselves in front of right now to get a guy like Stan, they just didn't need to do it. And we're going to get to a point in baseball where nobody needs to do that. You know, we're, we're, we're heading down that path. I mean, if Bryce Harper doesn't win in Philly in the next three years, truly, then what are we doing here? You know, what are we doing? I mean, the Stanton contract was ludicrous for Miami 
13 years, $325 million with a boatload of player opt-outs. What are we doing here? You mm-hmm. know, Miami rebuilds every two and a half years. They, they, they have fire sales every three years. So you're going to sign that guy to a 13-year deal? They are, they are ridiculously lucky that the New York Yankees decided to, to acquire him because I don't think that was a tradable contract otherwise. The Yankees are here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think there's a market for him right now, Scott. I think he's got to have a healthy season before you can even consider moving him unless the Yankees eat like 85% of this payroll, mm-hmm. which that's not a situation you want to be in if you're going to trying to sign two pitchers right now. So I, I think he's a Yankee in, in 2020. I mean, if we want to talk about you know tough situations with salaries, Jacoby Ellsbury is also a Yankee in 2020. That's $21.1 million. Again, they have paid him. $148 million for seven seasons, and he has missed the last two and a half entirely. Hasn't played wow. a single, ha- hasn't had a single plate appearance. Wow. Um, and now they don't have a spot for him because <laughs> they re-signed Aaron Hicks. They've got Aaron Judge. They've got Stanton who can play the outfield. They've got a ton of youth kids who they like to throw out there, and they're trying to sign back Brett Gartner, the left fielder, who had a heck of a year and is worth another contract. And so, he's got a full no trade clause, so you can't move. Full him. no trade clause. <laughs> uh, they're going to try to trade him and hope that he can pass the physical and get the heck out of town. But that has been, to me, that's where things might be going with the Stanton contract. You might be seeing version two of Ellsbury with, with Giancarlo Stanton be, for no for nothing more than he just can't stay healthy. Now he's had some fluky injuries, but those things pile up. We've seen it in football, right? I mean, the more you get, the more that it lingers. So I'm worried that, at least for this year, I think I'm confident in saying Giancarlo Stanton is going to be a Yankee. They're going to have to deal with it and hope they can get production out of him. I mean, he can certainly still hit when he's, re- when he's healthy. Um, but other than that, I, I think there's other pieces to be moved on from. Like, we've talked about Sanchez. You know, I, I, I think maybe a guy like Luke Voigt, who's been way above expectations as a, first, as a young first baseman who's super cheap right now. I mean, tons of team control left there. That's a piece you can move. Maybe you're te- maybe you're placing that with an Ellsbury, right? To try to get Ellsbury's contract off of your off of your payroll. Maybe a guy like Voigt. I, I don't think they'll try to trade the Urshelas or the Anduhars, these young kids who have been just outstanding for them. I don't think they'll do that. But you've got a guy like Clint Frazier, a young outfielder. They certainly don't need outfielders right now. You can probably tag a couple of the young contracts with a bad contract to get them out of town because they do need to spend this offseason. They didn't spend really last year. They, they made a couple of decent acquisitions, but they didn't really spend. Uh, they need to spend this year. So I think they're going to have to make some trades out to allow themselves to do that. Yeah, yeah, they're in that window where you've got Judge and Torres, and you've got this young youth that you sort of want right. to uh, capitalize on before you have to go and pay those guys mega money. So uh, I foresee them definitely either – signing or making the trade like you had suggested with Syndergaard or something like that. But I, I foresee them being pretty active here uh, as this offseason progresses. Yeah, I think Luke, Luke Voigt is probably the name to watch. Uh, they do have a couple of first base options that can fill the blank there. Uh, he's a heck of a player, but I think you, you, you attach him to another contract and you go out and get yourself another pitcher like a Robbie Ray from Arizona or something like that. So keep an eye out for the Yankees. I think they're going to be very active both in signings and in trades this offseason. All right, let's finish up here in college sports. We, we touched on this last week on, from a different angle when the NCAA announced that they're going to be eventually, in, in a couple of years, there's going to be a situation where players can benefit off of their likeness. Whatever that means, we really don't know yet. We're assuming it means 
you can be paid to have your name in a video game and you can be paid to sell jerseys and you can be paid for autographs. We don't really know how this is all going to work. Um, it's very, very fluid right now. They're essentially taking questions right now on that. So if you've got questions, call the NCAA because um, we don't know. <laughs> but on the, on the cusp of that, of course, two gigantic violation stories come out, right? I mean, breaking news Friday. This is not for nothing. I mean, and that's sort of the point I want to get to here is these things are coming out so much now, and there's so much discussion about how how terrible college sports is and how you know amateurism versus professionalism and where are we going and what should it be and what do we deserve and what do these players deserve. Well, until any of this really happens, a lot of illegal things are happening, <laughs> and no more so than this past week, right? We This Chase Young situation with Ohio State, um, been at the top of the news feed. Here's my first question. I'm going to go backwards on you. We've got a situation in Ohio State where the a top five NFL draft pick in 2020, apparently, is now suspended indefinitely because he took some money. Do you have the exact story here, Scott? He took some money to pay off something and then paid it back, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was a very sort of sort of up and up situation. He needed, I think he, I, oh, I know what it was. He wanted his family to go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> right, so right. He took he he accepted money from a family lawyer or something to say to to fly his family out to see him in the Rose Bowl last year. And then when they had enough money, they paid that person back. Again, it's not legal, but it's not the worst thing in the world either, right? <laughs> Certainly not the worst thing in the world. Um, and it kind of goes along with all of this other news in the NCAA, which what needs to get fixed and what needs to stay and blah blah blah. So that's the top college football story. You, I mean, it was right up there with LSU beating Alabama. It really was. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. if you listened enough, you heard Chase Young's name plenty this weekend. Then you had the NCAA basketball situation with Memphis. Memphis is this brand new, you know, blue chip team. Penny Hardaway is the coach. He's spent a couple of years sort of getting his feet wet in, in smaller coaching roles. Memphis brings him in as an alumnus to, to take over the team and within like 18 months, he's got three or four crazy superstars, and they're a ranked team. And now, of course, the biggest star is in violation of taking money. Am I correct there? No. Yeah, oh, uh, yes. he. it was money that helped to move from Nashville to Memphis when Penny was still a uh, high school coach. Uh, the high school coach right. in AAU, I believe. So this was, uh, we're so talking essentially he was a few booster. years ago. Right. He was a right. He was a alumnus of the of the college and he wasn't working for the college, but he was recruiting in the college's benefits, essentially. And, and it was over eleven and a half thousand dollars. Sure. And this was like two two years ago when so Penny Hardy was not the coach of Memphis then. He was just the coach of a high school. And he was working with this kid and he financially helped this kid get to the AAU, correct? Correct. And now fast forward to today, he is the coach of Memphis. This kid <laughs> did go to Memphis. He's the number one star on Memphis. So and oh, by the way, he's projected number one in the NBA draft. Overall, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a superstar. But you can connect the dots. I mean, Penny Hardaway knew what he was doing mm-hmm. two years ago, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But is this really wrong? Is this really wrong? How the hell are you going to police this stuff and make it fair? I mean, what do right. we? This guy was a high school coach. Are we, are we going to have to start monitoring all of the high school situations? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, you and yeah. I have both read LeBron James books. 
the, mm-hmm. the books, the books about LeBron James. Oh, LeBron, yes. LeBron James was financially courted in high school. He was given plenty of athletic gear. He, he was, he was, he was courted. I mean, he didn't go, he did not go to college. Andy, so that Andy was, was the benefit with, there. Yeah. And he was working with Cal Perry with, they were know. all in his house <laughs> when he was 16 years old. Yeah. I mean that the facts are there. You can go and read them people. So this is where we're going, right? Let's get to the the NCAA has a ton to figure out. They're a mess. Their statement last week about player likeness is going to be bogus. It's going to be done. Let's get to the real thing. And we didn't even I, this isn't even in our notes, Scott, because I don't know how we missed this. But let's get to what's really going to happen because you you follow the basketball more than I do. You're, you're the spot track NBA guy here. You know what's coming in 2022. College is going to be out of the out of the equation soon, right? The LeBron James, yeah. Court me in, when I'm 15, and I'll see you in the NBA when I'm 18. That's coming, right? That's coming mm-hmm. in the next iteration of the CBA. Adam Silver is going to—he's all about the players. I, for, for years and years and years, the NBA did did right by the NCAA and forced these guys to go to college and forced these guys to through four months of awkwardness, trying to make it work, trying to pretend like they actually were college campus kids. When they're not, they're just business entities in a placeholder situation before they went to make their millions. That's going to be done. In three years, we're going to be talking about players who are 14 and 15 years old playing high school academy basketball who are on their way to becoming millionaires. That's it. There's not going to be any NCAA to figure that out with, right? And if you want to go and pay them, right, when they're in high school, you're going to be able to do that, right? Nucky's going to be able to pay these players right away, correct? Correct. And I, I almost think if you're the NCAA, don't you go to the NBA and say, let's move this timeline up so that we're not having to deal with this kind of stuff. Get us, out, a- of the light. Yes. Get us <laughs> out of the spotlight right now, because let's be fair and let's be frank. And we didn't mention this last week when I was on with Paul here talking NCAA, but isn't this a more, I, I mean, I know the California decision to, you know, we're going to let players earn money off their brand. I know that was the notable reason why the NCAA did what they did. But don't you think this is a bigger reason? Don't you think that knowing that the NBA is about to, to completely excavate college basketball stars is a bigger reason for the NCAA to say, hey, you can come here and make some money? Because they know the writing's on the wall. They mm-hmm. know it. They know that in two years, LaMelo Ball is never going to play college basketball. Never. Right? I mean, he is, yeah. he is going yeah. international to, to purposely skirt college basketball because he wants to make money right now. He is making money right now. He's a professional basketball player. Yeah. He's not the only guy doing that. And also the NBA with the, with the G league, I mean, they've increased their salaries to try to promote potential, you know, high school superstars, skip Skip college and just get into the league um, and, and get that experience from that aspect. So this is the question I wanted to get to. And it's sort of on the precipice of what we're discussing here. Why is it? Because the Memphis story was big, Scott, but was it really that big? I mean, I mean, I mean if that if it was Duke, it'd be huge. I'll, I'll give it that. But even mm-hmm. Kansas, Kansas is a top five team. They have been forever. Their coach is a Hall of Famer, Bill Self. They have been in violation for the last eighteen months. Am I wrong by that? There have been there have been legitimate violations and phone conversations, recorded phone conversations of Bill Self discussing with superstar players uh, financial sponsorships, correct? Yeah, I believe that's correct. I mean, that's all fact. That's all out there. You can go find that right now. There's no discussion about Kansas. There's no, I mean, it's sort of the elephant in the room, but nobody's talking about it. 
he's still coaching Kansas. The LSU coach is still coaching LSU. Arizona coach is still coaching Arizona. USC, Auburn, all of these co- colleges that have been found with violations and, are, and things are pending right now, nothing's changed. The players are still playing. The coaches are still coaching. The fans are still paying money to go to the games. There's all these merchandise being sold still for these, mm-hmm. for these things. Yep. There's still a, a path to the NBA. All these players are going to the NBA still. Doesn't matter. I think the reason that those things, those cases aren't coming to fruition, and we're not hearing about it every day in the, in, in the news and on podcasts, is because the NCAA basketball organization itself says it's not good for us right now. We ha- we're already losing. We're already losing. We're going to lose the NBA in 18, tw- you know, in 24 months here. We're about to lose the NBA. So we're not even going to get the superstars anymore. They're not coming. We got to worry about the kids who are, you know, aren't going to be sponsored by Nike, who are going to come and play basketball for us because those, those players are going to matter to us in two years. Don't you think it's getting there, Scott? Yeah, I think we're at that breaking point for sure. They just want to wait this out is my point, right? If they can just kind of let this thing fizzle away and not have to fire Bill Self and not have to fire, uh, you know, the guy in Arizona, Sean Miller, if, if those guys can just sort of do what they're doing and shut their mouths and, and we all sort of forget about it and just watch basketball and get to the tournament again, right, where they actually shine, then this thing can just go away. They just need to hold out for two more years, which conveniently lines right up with their new statement about compensation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the NBA is going to come in and say, all right, you don't have to go to the college anymore. You can come right to us. And when that happens, major college basketball is going to change for forever, forever. Yeah. Because the players that we're hearing this are, are the premier athletes. So if you take that, who are going out right to the, the NBA, if you take that out of the equation, Correct. we're going to have, you you're not going to have these issues theory. anymore. Right. And they know it, right? They know it. So they just got to ride this thing out until the NBA makes their new decision. <laughs> and then essentially the NBA is going to, going to let them off the hook to some degree. There's still going to be, mm-hmm. look at, there's still going to be violations. I mean, it is what it is. You know, you're, you're going to be vying for players who maybe aren't NBA ready yet, but aren't superstars either. So it's still going to be there and we're going to still going to hear about it, but not to this degree. I don't think you're going to yeah. have these major, major players, you know, taking a, a four month stop at Duke anymore. That's just going to be done in my opinion. Well, and, and I'm interested, I haven't done the research, but I'm interested to know if things like this are happening in other sports in the NCAA, or is it more so in football and men's basketball? And it's just the bigger spotlight because of the, the bigger sport, or is it happening in baseball or lacrosse or yeah, the, the, some of those other sports? It, it, Scott, it might. I don't think baseball at all. And the reason is there's no direct path to professional sports. I mean, I mean, you graduate college uh, as a baseball player and you know, you probably have five years of minor league baseball ahead of you, you know, Mm -hmm. which that ain't pretty. Um, You know, maybe Olympic athletes is probably the the one to keep an eye on. Right. I mean, your swimmers, your track stars, I think we've seen a share a fair amount of violations Mm-hmm. with those kind of players who are, you know, the freak athletes that are on track to be Olympians. Oh, by the way, there's a whole nother discussion about whether Olympians need to be amateurs as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, that's a podcast we, in itself. Well, we might be, he- we might be hearing more and more about that in 2020 when the, when the summer Olympics come back around. Uh, so the, I think there's, there's a lot of changes coming for sure, but specifically with these NCAA violations and specifically with basketball, I don't think football is going to be changing. So, and, and football is King. Right. I mean, the, the 
we're talking NFL draft in November. We just did it 40 minutes ago. So, so when top five NFL draft prospects are, you know, break rules, it's going to be big news. Number one, because it's football. And number two, because it's just a lot more money there. You know, there's just a lot mm-hmm. more money. Chase Young is set to make a lot more money, and Iowa State already makes a ton of money. So there's a lot more to discuss there, and money kind of is kind of the driving force of all of this. That's why Spot Track exists. So, but basketball itself, I think we've laid out a path here for why. Number one, Memphis's conversation wasn't that big and might just get blown over. I mean, Scotty played that night. The kid played the game the night. Yeah, he, he yeah. Did, Memphis. It was Memphis a, specifically put in. Uh, uh, the, well, the terminology from the NCAA was, we believe he's, he's, he has, he has uh, failed a violation, caused a violation, right? We believe he has accepted money. We, we, would, recommend, <laughs> we would recommend him being suspended. They, the NCAA recommended a suspension, to which Memphis replied what? Nah. No. Nah, he's going to play tonight. We're playing him. Yeah, we need him out there. So, so I mean, how serious really is this going to get to is my point, Right. That's that is there is no more evidence than that right there that NCAA basketball is just trying to get to 2022. Just get us there. All right. Get us out of this mess, NBA. And it's coming. Yep. It's coming. All right. I want to thank our uh, presenting sponsors, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering all these professional athletes. And they might have some more professional athletes to empower her soon. Boy, are they going to be involved with 14 year old kids soon? They might be. Maybe <laughs> there's a whole nother yeah. market for you, Morgan Stanley. They're coming. <laughs> These high school kids are coming. All right. They empower professional athletes and entertainers, with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about finances and wealth. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE Morgan Stanley, Smith, Barney, LLC member SIPC. My thanks to the athletic. My thanks to Scott Allen. We'll be back on Thursday with Kevin and Paul and myself for a whole nother version of this podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you listen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.